During these weeks, we are simply asking the question, what does it mean to walk in His steps? What does it mean to walk in the the steps of Jesus? And one of the ways that we are doing this, and I've heard several of you comment, that we've gotten the old book, the, the book that was written in the 1890s, the Christian classic, In His Steps. And some of us are reading through that and, and, uh, and helping us to identify some of these uh, for that time at the end of the 1800s, some of the, the cultural issues that, uh, that they were addressing at, their, at that time. But that has allowed us to ask the question then, well, what are these big overarching social issues of our day? What, what are the issues that we can talk about? And as we've already mentioned uh, today, the, this human trafficking is, is an issue that is significant in our culture. Something you don't talk about at church, but it needs to be talked about. So as we're looking at this story and asking the questions of what does it mean to, to walk and follow in the steps of Jesus? What does it mean that Christ has redeemed me? And then what is my opportunity now to be a part of the ongoing work of redemption in this world? For those of you that have been reading the, the book, you will have been introduced to a, a young lady. She's a young heiress as she's described. Uh, from the proper part of town who has lived in wealth and luxury all of her life. She has enjoyed the best of the best of things. And she is living out of her inheritance and she is struggling with the question, what would Jesus do if if he had all these financial resources? As a part of her upbringing, she never really associated with those on the other side of town. And I think that's one of these questions that we have to ask during these weeks is, what does it mean to know the other? You see, the other is always a person that we don't know their name, and so we can, we can demonize them and we can talk bad about them because they're the other people or the other person. And that's the story that develops in this chapter or two with Virginia. And, and so one day she decides, and she hears in, in response to this question, what would Jesus do? She decides to go down to the area called the Rectangle, which is the area in their community where uh, the bars, the saloons, where the, the vice and corruption, the prostitution, where all that is taking place. And what begins to happen in the book is a, a tent revival begins to happen in that area. And so she goes down and she uh, commits her gifts. And so she's playing the organ one night during the invitation song. And as the invitation begins to play, the the aisles begin to fill and people begin to come down the aisles and and to repent and to cry out to God. And, And as she's playing the organ, her eyes come in contact with a young lady, maybe best described as one of the saloon girls who stumbles down the aisle and begins to cry and Virginia's eyes lock and she leaves the organ and she goes over and she begins to cry and to pray with this young lady and share that that spiritual moment with her. Well, a a few days later, Virginia's driving down in that part of town and in her carriage when there's a commotion at, at one of those saloon areas and, and this lady comes out staggering and, and drunk and singing, just as I am. 
And Virginia recognizes that it's this girl that she had prayed with. And so she stops her carriage and she goes out and she, she grabs a hold of her and she catches her attention. And this lady pushes back and she says this, Do not touch me. Let me go to hell. That's where I belong. And Virginia steps back and she says, No, you belong to Jesus. And what she learned is that this woman who a few nights before had had cried out to God had no home. She had no family. She was just a broken lady who had been used and taken advantage of all her life and that was the only life that she knew. But God was stirring. God was stirring in this lady's life and God was stirring in Virginia's life as they both began to ask the question, what would Jesus do? And Virginia had made the commitment to step out and do as she thought God would do in that place. Church, there are broken people all around us. Does our heart break for what breaks the heart of God? Does our heart break when we see the broken people of our community, in our families, In our church, when we see the broken people, does our heart break? Or is our first response condemnation and judgment? There's a story in the Bible that probably that that we're pretty familiar with. Turn with me to John chapter 8. We're not going to read this passage, but hopefully we can retell the story. Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem, I think one of the, the things that he would do regularly was when he, he would get up and go to the temple early in the morning. And the night before, in this particular day, he had been in the Mount of Olives, I'm sure, resting and sleeping and praying. And, and, and early that morning, I would imagine at sunrise, he got up and went to the temple so that he could visit and, and meet those folks that were coming into the temple so that he could teach and I suspect this was, was a habit, a custom of his when he was in that area. And so on this day, Jesus had gathered probably in the, the court of the Gentiles, maybe in the court of women, and was, was teaching. And, and in the distance, I'm sure you could begin to hear the rustling and the stirring of a crowd, the, the, the yelling of a crowd, maybe even the crying of a woman. And as heads began to turn, as they began to try to understand what was going on, the crowd came closer and closer and closer until it became obvious what was going on. You see, the Pharisees, the, the, the scribes, the leaders of the, the temple had in their possession, literally, they had this woman And I suspect that, that she, she may have been naked or she had a, a, a sheet or something around her to cover. I don't know, but you could tell that she had been grabbed and removed from her situation as the calls and the accusations of being an adulteress were being cast her way. 
And they brought this woman to the temple looking for Jesus. And you can just imagine them casting her down, throwing her down at, her, at the feet of Jesus, saying, Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery. What are you going to do about it? You see, they had already brought this broken woman they, they had already condemned her. She had been caught in her sin. How, how, do you, how do you get to this place? How does this woman get to this place where she is at the center of this mob and, and she's there in front of Jesus and she's been literally caught in the act of adultery? I can't, I can't imagine being a... 13, 14, 15-year-old girl saying, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be an adulteress. And, and I can't imagine being a, a young man thinking, you know what, when, when I grow older, I'm going to be an adulterer. Yet, for whatever circumstances were going on in life, and, and we don't know any of the backstory, we don't know how and why this woman was, was brought to this place in her own life where she was caught in the very act but here she is, broken and condemned. They see the dilemma that Jesus was in, for you see the law was very clear that, that those caught in adultery, they were to be put to death. They were to be stoned to death. And she was guilty. There, there was no question. But the scribes and the Pharisees also knew that the Roman authorities were the only one that could carry out that sentence. And so Jesus was in a no-win situation. And I can just imagine the, the emotion, even the anger that would have stirred within Jesus. And the Scripture tells us that, that He bent down and He began to, to write in the dirt, I, uh, to scribble, to write, I don't know, play tic-tac-toe, doodle. I don't know what. He was doing something. And I think that, that He was trying to calm down, take a deep breath. And then he stood up. Now remember, this, this broken woman is in the midst of this crowd. All the eyes are on her. And maybe as Jesus bent down and began to scribble in the dirt, maybe, maybe the eyes began to move their way towards Jesus and began to be taken off of this woman. And Jesus stands up. And he shifts the attention from this broken woman to the recognition and understanding that we're all broken. How often does Jesus tell us that we need to take care of the, the log and the speck in our eye? But, and yes, we're to, to be concerned about the other, but, but let's not be hypocritical about it. Let's not be condemnatory and judgmental about it. Let's humbly walk together and help each other. And so Jesus stands up after scribbling in the dirt and he, he says this, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast the stone. Jesus is helping those Pharisees, that mob that's gathered around to understand that this woman is not the only broken one that's in our midst. 
but that each of us are broken. In fact, isn't it interesting that it's the self-righteous and the prideful that seem to always be ready and eager to condemn and judge the other person? There's no doubt that this woman is guilty. John reminds us a few chapters earlier in John chapter 3. Jesus says, you know, I didn't come to judge the world. I didn't come to condemn the world. I think what he's saying is the world has already been judged and condemned and it's sin. We're all sinners. I didn't come to condemn and to judge. I came to bring life. I came to bring hope. I came to save that which was lost. And so Jesus simply says to this this mob, he says, you know what? Any of you that are without sin, go ahead and throw the first rock. And then once again, Jesus bends down and, and he begins to write and to scribble or doodle or whatever it is. You know, that's one of the questions that I want to ask. Jesus, what did you write in the dirt? And I think sometimes our attention gets focused on what did Jesus write in the dirt? But, but here's what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that when they heard it, when Jesus offered this instruction, when Jesus told these Pharisees to look at their own life first, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older So as Jesus offers his invitation for all the innocent ones, all the the ones that are without sin, to, to begin to cast their stones, Jesus bends down, and these men begin to understand their own sinfulness and brokenness in that moment. And they begin to step away. But still, as Jesus stands up, he's left... in the court with a woman who's broken. I suspect Jesus' disciples were still there. Maybe some of those that were already there in the scene, in the, in the teaching of the temple were there. But it appears that these instigators, these bullies, had made their way away. And, and Jesus goes over to this woman and, and I suspect if she's on the ground, he may have offered a hand and Helped her to stand up and listen to the words that he he says. Verse 11, to this broken woman, I do not condemn you. But Jesus, she's, she's guilty. She's been condemned. She's been judged. Well, yeah, but you know what? I don't condemn you. Now go. Go and sin no more. It seems to me that the invitation to go is an invitation to new life. The invitation to go is to get up. And to get up, and this time as you get up and go and sin no more, you, are, you, you came as a condemned adulteress. But now, get up and go And become this person that God has created you to be. You are no longer to be held down and enslaved and shackled by the bonds of being an adulteress. You have been set free. Go. 
Repent, turn, and sin no more. What an incredible, beautiful, compassionate story of grace and redemption. Church, there are broken lives all around us. This morning we focused a little bit on on the, the issue of trafficking. Let me follow that up just briefly. And let us do this in the understanding of the oppression of the the bondage, the slavery that men so often place upon women. Listen to the words of this prostitute who said in her diary, I hate myself. I hate what I have become. I feel so unclean. And I lose a little bit more of my life and my self-worth every day. I keep praying to God that I will die. I don't know how to stop. I have a longing to be the person that God intended me to be. It seems to me that these are words from someone who's broken. Broken. And is lost and desperately needs to know how to to be fixed, how to be healed, how to come into the life that she knows is out there for her. But for whatever reasons that brought her into this, she can't get out. No Boundaries International, some of their promotional pieces talk about uh, some young ladies that they've been able to intervene and to become a part of their lives One of those compilations of stories talks about a 16-year-old girl born in Oklahoma. She says she never knew her father, but she did know the endless stream of boyfriends that were in and out of her mom's house. So she ran away. After a few days on the street, she met a guy. A guy who said he'd take care of her, a guy who said that he loved her, a guy that said that she was special, only a few days later to be beaten and raped, to be told that she had to go out and make some money or she'd be killed, told that she ran away, she'd be alone because nobody would want to have anything to do with someone like her. She soon became addicted to coke and became their slave and did whatever they told her to do. She'd make her quota and he'd take all the money. She was trapped. She was enslaved. A 16-year-old girl just trying to get away from a bad situation at home. In telling the story, she said, you know what? The Johns are as bad, if not worse, than the pimps. And church, you need to understand that in churches like ours, all over the nation, there are Johns sitting in every congregation doing this kind of violence to young girls and young women. Here's what this, one of these teenage girls said that was caught up in trafficking. She said, you know what? I'm not good for anything else. Besides, no one else would have me. 
I'll probably be dead or in jail in a couple of years. Church, the world around us is filled with broken people. Denise George writes in a book called What Women Wished Pastors Knew, and she talks about this, this issue that we have in the world, in our cultures, where men take advantage of and oppress and abuse women. She said one lady told her that she daily lives with memories of her father's, her father's decade-long sexual abuse of her in the home. Girls being abused by dads, stepdads, brothers, cousins, uncles. Denise talks about another woman sitting in the pews of our churches who was pressured again and again and again and over and over and over by her husband to get an abortion because he didn't want to have another child. And now, years later, she's struggling and dealing with that guilt. Church, there are broken people. There are broken women all around us. But listen, there is good news. There is good news because in Christ Jesus, you are not condemned. Listen to Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, where Paul reminds us that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Jesus, that Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and of death. Oh, that we could hear this. Oh, that those who have been oppressed and enslaved could understand this. There is a way out through Christ Jesus. But you see, it's easy to blame and to condemn the broken and the other for getting into their condition. It's one of our struggles with our friendship ministry. I can't tell you how many times that I've heard folks from our church say, you know what, why do we just keep feeding them and giving them clothes? If they just go out and get a job, they'd take care of everything and they they could support themselves. Folks, people, men and women are broken all around us. And people, for the most part, Don't get into those conditions and situations without the accumulation of this brokenness just being heaped upon them after year, after year, after year. Lance Lang recently got to know him and he shares his story of coming out of addiction. He's working in some homes and and, uh, men's houses in the Oklahoma City area, helping those come out of addiction and the struggles that they have. Listen to his own testimony. He says, For so many years I lived with no hope. I had no expectation that my life would ever get better. My hope was dead, and along with it was my desire for a better life. So I snorted or smoked everything I could get my hands on. I had an endless search for that first rush that I had but couldn't ever find it. I destroyed and damaged everything in my path. I tried to point the finger outward, blaming others for what in the way that my life had become. I was lonely. I felt stranded. I was hopeless. So I gave up. 
And as bad as my addiction was, and as bad and tragic as I looked to everyone around me, I could not see it. Why? Because we're broken. We're condemned. We're judged. But in Christ Jesus, we are not. There's hope. He calls and invites us to get up and to go and to repent and to receive new life. So what does it mean for us as a church and as individuals to walk in his steps? It means that we are to walk with the broken as they find new life in Christ. And some of you know this. It's not easy to walk with broken people. It can get dirty. It can get messy. But you see, to condemn the broken is the easy way. I think the call of Christ to walk in his steps is the call to help the broken to get up and to get free. But this is the hard way. It's hard to walk with broken people as they put their lives back together, as they find the way of Christ. And let's not kid anyone. This is the way of suffering. It is the way of sacrifice for you and for the one that is being redeemed. But the question that we have to ask, church, is are we willing to walk in his steps? Are we willing to walk with the broken so that they can get up and so that they can find new life in Christ? Let's pray.